Thank you, brothers. What a great reminder as we think about um, how great today is, but how great that day is going to be. Amen. If you would turn with me to John chapter 13 this morning. As we look in the book of John, um, we're going to continue. We're continuing in the series that we've been in. Our, as we're calling it, WEN series, W-E-N, WEN, as we again kind of turn our attention to see we as a New Testament church, as believers in Christ, as a gathered body, what things should we be focusing on? What are things that are, that are from the teaching of Scripture imperative that we do? And so we've broken this into three broad, distinct categories. We've been through most of them at this point. So we looked at the idea that we must worship God. And believe that that is foremost, that everything else flows from our worship for God and to God. But we worship God, God and we evangelize the lost, which includes personal evangelism, which includes our mission work and outreach and supporting other missionaries as well. And then the last category, the one that we haven't seen, that we'll look at this week and next week, is nurturing. We must nurture one another. Now, what do I mean whenever I talk about nurturing each other? Well, I'll be honest with you, I wanted to use the word edify, uh, but I was talked out of it and used, told to use nurture instead by some unnamed people, Grant Brister. So... I, I want to do this. I want to give you the definition of both words because I think it helps us grasp this a little bit better. But to edify means to instruct and improve, especially in moral and religious knowledge. Right. So we're instructing one another in the teachings of the Word of God. We are helping to improve one another, to help one another be more accountable not to sin. To be more accountable to learn the Word of God. That we're spurring on one another toward love and good works. Those sort of things. It's what it means to edify. Nurture, very similarly, the definition is to educate or further the development of. So we as believers for one another, you for me and me for you and you for one another, we are called to help to build each other up to strengthen one another spiritually and in our understanding of wisdom and the teachings of God, to educate in that way, to further the development of, right? That I would help hold you accountable whenever you sin and help you to recognize sin that maybe you're blind to in your life. Whenever I see areas of weakness, that I would try and help train you and teach you and disciple you in those areas and that you would do the same for me. We are called to this in many places in the New Testament. We are supposed to be doing this for one another. Helping one another fight sin and grow in sanctification. We are called to this. And this is what we're talking, what I'm talking about when I say we're called to nurture one another. To live in this type of community with each other. So this is how we're going to do this this week, next week. This week we're going to look at the basis for this. Where, how do we understand what this looks like? How, what's a good picture of this? Why should I be this committed to all of you? And why should you be this committed to one another? And then next week we're going to see a specific text in Ephesians that really just kind of lays out, this is what you should be doing for one another. And I'm convinced from Scripture and from Scripture that we will see today 
that if you truly know the love of God, that if you know the love of God because you have experienced salvation through Jesus Christ, that you will love one another. We'll see that today very clearly. That if you love God, that you will love others, that you will share the gospel with lost people, and that you will seek to edify and nurture other Christians. All right, so look with me in John chapter 13, a text that's probably somewhat familiar. I want us to see it again. Beginning in verse 31, John 13, 31. It says, When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. All right, so the, this setting is very important as it always is whenever we're looking at Scripture. But particularly if we're going to understand the emphasis of what Jesus is teaching here, I think this setting really helps us to grasp it in, in several ways. So let me give you this briefly. John 13 through 17, particularly beginning here in this paragraph, is often called the farewell discourse. And that's particularly because this is the last major section of Jesus' teaching before his death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. So, in this we find a teaching, a, a set of teachings of Jesus that you have to imagine for John that's writing this for us was very precious. Right? These are the final major teaching words that Christ gives to his disciples before he departs the earth. And, and we see that here because the break in the paragraph makes it hard to understand. But verse 31, when it says, when he had gone out... Comma, Jesus said. It's not saying when Jesus went out. It's talking about Judas. So the setting of this is they're at the Last Supper. They're gathered there together. Christ has given this teaching about the one that will betray him. And so Judas stands up and leaves out of the room. And what we understand is that he's going to get the soldiers that are going to come and arrest Jesus. And so we see here that Jesus' death is imminent, right? It is hours away from his arrest and all of the things that will take place after that. And so when it says he had gone out, it means Judas is gone. He's going to get the soldiers. And then Jesus immediately starts talking about now is the Son of Man glorified. And if you're with us Wednesday night, that phrase Son of Man is probably, I pray, a little bit different for you. This is, this is an and alluding to Daniel 7, the glorious Son of Man that we see there who came to receive all authority and all power over all kingdoms forever and ever. This is the Messiah. This is the chosen one. Jesus is saying, I am Him, and now is the time that I am going to be glorified. And now is the time that in my actions, God is going to be glorified. That Jesus is basically saying here, the time that all of human history has been building up to. The moment that everything has been anticipating from the beginning of time until now is here. The time is here. And he tells them that he's about to leave and that they will not be able to go where he's come, or come where he's going. 
So let me ask you this. Do any of y'all watch those cooking competitions like on the Food Network, um, Beat Bobby Flay, Supermarket Steakhouse, any of those? None of y'all? Okay, all right, good, good. At least a few. We do. We watch those at our house. We, we enjoy those. And so as you're watching the competition, you know, they're, they're kind of working. They're working all along. They're doing this. They're doing some of that. But then when they say, one minute remaining, what happens? Everything ramps up, doesn't it? Every detail becomes that much more important. Right? There's no room for mistakes here. What you're doing at this time has to be done right. And so for us, I'm not saying in any way, do not hear me saying that I think that Jesus procrastinated in his teaching. Jesus, didn't, Jesus knew everything that was going to happen before time ever began, before the world was created. He knew every second of everything he would do while he was here on earth. And it was perfectly planned out. He saved these words for just this time. He knew that he was going to try and prepare his disciples, he was going to prepare his followers with these teachings at this time. This is what he wanted to emphasize in the last hours that he was with them. And so as we also are living, right, these words were given to prepare them to live after Jesus went back to heaven. We live in that time period, right? We live in the time period after Jesus has gone to heaven, and before he comes back. So I would make this argument for you this morning. What we see Jesus saying here is extremely important for how we live our lives. What we're about to see Jesus saying, the teachings that we see here are ones that we should, all scripture are teachings we should pay attention to. But if you want to give any more weight to anything and, and an understanding of how we would be prepared to live out our lives here on earth, you might look at these more. So point one this morning is this, final words are famous words, right? These are the words of Jesus that he has held for this time and held them for a reason. They are famous, you are going to recognize the next couple of verses, I think most of you will, but they are also important words, ones that I pray that we will pay great attention to. John thirteen thirty four is where we see the first, the commandment that Jesus gives here. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, obviously, the commandment to love other people is not new. We see that all throughout Scripture. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We see it as the great commandment, right, that we would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you would love your neighbor as yourself. This idea of loving other people is not necessarily what's new. I believe what is new here, what is new about this commandment, is not the idea to love, but how we are to love. The extent of our love, the example of love that we are to follow because Jesus says here that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And you the length and the depth and the magnanimity of Jesus' love is completely unmatched in all of history. Nobody has ever loved the way that Jesus loved. We see it here in this context of John chapter 13, right? The creator of all things, God Almighty who has stepped out of heaven 
into human flesh and has lived this life, who deserves all the praise and all the worship and all the servitude of all people at all places at all times, to which I cannot overstate how worthy Jesus is of us serving Him, of everyone serving Him, of everyone praising and worshiping Him, that Jesus just bent down and washed the feet of these disciples. You don't find this sort of love anywhere else. That Jesus has shared His life with these men. That He has cared for them and that He has carried them. That He has had compassion and mercy on them. And, and also in the context, I already told you, Jesus has just instituted the Lord's Supper, where He has foreshadowed what's about to take place, that, that His body was going to be broken, and that His blood was going to be spilt. An innocent man was going to be punished for our crimes and for our sins. Jesus was taking this upon Himself. Not because He had to, not because we were worthy of it, but because of His love for us. Right? We know John 3.16, it tells us, it shows that this is a display of God's love for us, that Christ died in our place. Nobody's ever seen love like this before. This love is a brand new level of love. And so Jesus says, here's the new commandment. You love each other with this sort of love. And it just heightens everything that we know about what it means to love other people. If you flip over one page to John chapter 15, Jesus circles back around to this teaching just a little bit later. Beginning in verse 12, John 15, 12 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. So if there was any confusion about the extent of our love for one another, how much it should mirror Jesus' love, Jesus says, this is the commandment. This is the new commandment, that you love the way of I, that I have loved, that you love to the extent that you would even sacrifice for your brothers and sisters. Point two, Jesus' love was exemplary love. This is the epitome of what love is, and it is our example of what our love for each other should look like. I know you think, Brother Zach, that sounds really good, like churchy, Bible teachy, preachy, sounds really good for that kind of thing. But you're honestly saying that I, for everybody else here, for other Christians should be willing to make sacrifices for them and to give up things for them, and that I should serve them and love them the way that Jesus did. Like, not just because it sounds good, you're actually saying I should do that, and I am, I'm actually saying it, because Jesus actually said it. And He said it more than once to make it clear. Jesus was very clear that He is our example, and He is the basis of our love for each other. 1 John chapter 4, I want to read this to you. We spent some time on this when we were in 1 John, but that's been a couple of years. So I want to read this text again to you that really highlights this as well. This is the same John that was with Jesus that wrote this gospel account, extrapolating on this in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. 
And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So here he says, right, John says the same thing. Brothers, if you know God, you will love. If you don't love, it's because you don't know God. He, no ands, ifs, or buts about it. And he says, here's the epitome of love that God sent His Son to die as the propitiation, right, the sacrifice for our sins. And then he finishes with this in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Some of y'all have heard me talk about this word ought. I love that John uses the word ought. I always think John is southern whenever he uses the word ought and tells us things that we ought to do. He uses it in 3 John and he uses it here. He says, if God loved us like that, and to be clear, God did love us like that. If God loved us like that, then you know what we ought to do? We ought to love one another. And what he's saying is in the same way. So this is the example. You want to know what your love for one another should look like? You want to know why you should care about nurturing and edifying other Christians? Why should you spend your time and take the things that you have learned and invest them into other people? Why should you disciple and why should you be a model and why should you be a coach and leader and teacher for other Christians? Because Christ is the example of our love and he did all of these things for us. And then he said, so go do them for each other. Look back with me here at verse 34 in John 13. I want us to, to think about a couple of very specific applications of this. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And that, that phrase is such a weighty phrase, just as... I have loved you. And so this week, I've meditated on this idea. I've tried to think about, tried to put into words some of the ways that Jesus loved his disciples, that we are called to love one another. Now, I'll be honest about this. If we were to, to honestly and deeply try to explain and look at all the implications of how Jesus loved his disciples and how we should love one another from that. If we try to look at every specific way that he loved, then I would start a sermon series that my grandchildren would not hear the end of. Because that's the type of love that Jesus had. That's the depth of his love. But I do have a few that I wanted to list. He prayed with them and he prayed for them. He was kind to them. As I'm reading this, I want you to imagine... You doing this for one another. Us doing this for one another. He discipled them. He lifted them up in times of need. He taught them. He showed compassion to them. He trained them for ministry. He served as an example to them. He was patient with them. He cried with them when they were sad. And he reassured them when they were scared. He forgave them when they sinned. Even when they sinned against him. 
He protected them when they were in danger. He fed them when they were hungry. He shared his life with them. And those are just a few of the ways that Jesus loved these disciples. And we have to ask ourselves, do I do these things for the other Christians in this room and in my life? Right? This is not just exclusive for people at Mount Zion. Do I do these things for other Christians? But I wanted to give you just two that I think would be challenging to you because they're challenging to me as I look at our life and I look at our corporate life and the way we live our life with one another. I think these are two that are lacking probably more than some of the others. And they're overarching ideas. But the first one is that we are called to love one another sacrificially. That our love for one another should be sacrificial love. That we should love even when it costs us something. And if we're being honest, we see this clearly in Jesus, but I think that it's, it's an area that we're a bit more hesitant. Look, you need me to do something for you, and it's in my spare time, and it's not going to cost me anything. Right? Or you need to borrow something of mine that I don't really use anyways. Absolutely, I'm there. You need me to do something that's not really going to be very cost, costly to me. I'm great. I'll love you in that way. I'll show you that sort of care. But what about when somebody needs you to do something that's going to cause you to rearrange your schedule that you don't really want to rearrange? What if what they need is some possession that you really want to hold on to? Then all of a sudden it becomes a little bit harder. What if what they need is forgiving They need to be forgiven, and that's easy to do if they've hurt somebody else, right? If you've done something to somebody else, and I need to forgive you, that's not quite so hard. This happens with the kids sometimes, my kids. um, The other day, I was a little bit more harsh with Chase than I felt that I should have been. And I know that that bothers Addie and Chip as well. So as I apologize to Chase for being harsh with him. I also apologize to Chip and Addie who had to see me be harsh with Chase. And I think it's probably easier in that moment for Chase and Addie to forgive me for my harshness than it is for Chase to forgive me of my harshness. But what we are called to is even when somebody has hurt me or even when somebody has hurt my children that I'd be willing to forgive them. And that's a little bit harder. That takes a bit more sacrifice. But brothers and sisters, if we're going to live the type of life that Jesus did, we're going to live in this kind of community and show this kind of love, sometimes it's going to hurt. And sometimes it's going to be hard. And sometimes it's going to be messy. And yes, sometimes it's going to cost us something. Sometimes it's going to cost us a lot. But that's what Jesus says he expects us to do. That is what he exemplified for us. So, sometimes we'll have to give up our resources. Sometimes we'll have to rearrange our schedule. Sometimes we'll have to serve others and put them before ourselves and put their wants before our wants. Sometimes we'll have to forgive people because sometimes we're going to have to sacrifice if we're going to love this way. The only other one that I want to give to you that I think is is particularly challenging to me and I think will be for some of you as well is that we are called to love people that we feel don't deserve it. That we are to love undeservingly. Because again, it's easy to love somebody that you feel like deserves it. 
right? Somebody that's good to you and that's kind to you. Somebody that reciprocates all these things back to you. Somebody that's been there for you through the years. And as I say those things, there are people that you picture in your mind. In this church or in the church that you grew up in, there are people that taught you when you were little. And they've helped disciple you. And they've, they've helped you move in or out of places whenever you've needed to move. And they've, they've taken up love offerings for you whenever you were in tight spots. And they've been there. And you respect them. And you honor them. And it's easy for you to love those folks. But you know what? There are also some people that you feel like don't really deserve your love. Say, what have they done for me? How have they helped me? How have they honored or respected me? What have they ever given me whenever I was in need? So why should I give anything to them? But I simply ask you this question. What if that's the way that Christ loved? What if Jesus only died for those that deserved it? What if Jesus only forgave and only showed mercy to and only taught and only loved people that he owed it to? We'd be in trouble. We'd all be in trouble. Our calling, again, is exemplified by the love of Jesus Christ. And every person that Jesus loved is undeserving of his love. They were undeserving of the basis of it. They were undeserving of the extent of it. Because Jesus loved people that were evil. And Jesus loved people that were sinful. And that were self-righteous. And that were prideful. And that were arrogant. And those are just the words that describe me. Those are the people that Jesus loved. Remember this. When, Jesus, when Judas went to get the soldiers, he went to get them with clean feet. Because Jesus had just washed his feet. Jesus doesn't just love people that deserve it, and we can't either. Point three. Jesus' love was unexpected love. In many ways, there's a song that we didn't sing this morning because in some ways it's a little bit different. Some, most of you have heard it. It's called Reckless Love. And we can go back and forth about the idea of it. I don't like the idea of Jesus' love being seen as reckless, but the idea of it being seen as unexpected, right? I didn't see that coming. I didn't think, if I didn't know who Jesus was, that anybody in his position would be willing to do what he did for people like us. That's the type of love that's our example. It was gentle and kind and forgiving and compassionate and restorative and gentle to people that didn't deserve it. In my lifetime, as I try and think about the best example I've seen of this, obviously Jesus is the perfect example, but in my lifetime that I've seen, I think probably the best example of this type of love, a love that leads to nurturing and edifying, is probably the, the love of a good parent or a good grandparent. Right? Man, good parents and good grandparents, the way that they love their children and grandchildren is amazing. And y'all seen this, right? They always root for their children or their grandchildren. They always want what's best for them. And they're so patient. We've all seen this. You've all seen that parent or that grandparent who forgives their kid or grandkid again. And we say, oh, don't they know that they're just going to turn around and break their heart? Don't they know that? And they just, they love them anyways. 
They continue to forgive them over and over again. And they think about the things that that child or grandchild need. They anticipate their needs before they even come up. And they try to meet those needs. And they try and train them and teach them to be exactly who they know they need to be. And they do it over and over and over. Even if that child or grandchild never says thank you, they just continue to do it. Why? Because they love them that much. I think that's what we see as an example of what we as a church should do. That we should love each other. You should love me and you should love each other so much that you anticipate one another's needs and try to meet them before they even come up. That you share your life with one another. That you always root for one another. You always want the best for each other. This is what we are called to do. And it does lead to nurturing and edifying. There's one last verse here, and I didn't want to completely skip it. We're not going to spend much time here. This is what we're going to look at Wednesday night. If you are able to come join us, I would implore you to do that. Verse 35, Jesus did finish this teaching by saying, By this, the love that we have for one another, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So point four is this. Jesus' love marks Jesus' people. And again, that's what we're going to talk about Wednesday night. But, but when we love this way, it's recognizable, it's noticeable, and it sets us apart as being Jesus' people. So I want to do this as we come to a close this morning. I want to just ask you a couple of questions to help you see if your heart's in the right place. Before we get to next week, when we're talking about specific application of this, what it looks like in practice, what you should be doing for the body, for the other people in the church, before we get to that, I just want to make sure your heart's in the right place because I think we've already established if you're not loving one, if we're not loving one another, we're never going to do the things that we're called to do. We're never going to nurture and edify and build up one another the way that we're supposed to if we don't love each other. So my first question for you this morning is this. Do you truly know love? Because John tells us in John and in 1 John that to truly know love means that you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't, then you don't know what love is. If, if you have lost friends or lost family members and you feel like they don't love you the way that they should, that's because they don't know true love. Because true love is epitomized in the love of God for us seen in Jesus Christ. So if you don't know that kind of love, if you've never come to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I would love to talk to you about that. We don't have to do that right now, but catch me before we leave here, and let's set up a time that we can meet, talk about that, discuss what does that look like. Then my other question is, if you do, if you know that you're a Christian, and you know what true love looks like, do you love other people? Do you love one another? I invite you to stand this morning. And as we reflect on this, the example, the perfect example of what our love for one another should look like. We're going to sing again a song that we sang earlier, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And as we think about the depth of His love, think about how great it is and how merciful and gracious He is towards us, and also think about the fact that these are things that we're called to do for one another. If you have questions or want somebody to pray with you, I'll be down here. 
And if you need to pray where you are or just want to sing this song, you do what the Lord's leading you to as the praise team leads us in this hymn of response.